Okay, we're in Matthew 26, coming down to the wire. Finishing up Matthew 26 today. You can turn over there, Matthew 26. We'll be looking at verses 69 to 75 this morning. If you were to ask yourself, what is the single greatest gift you ever received? I trust if you're a believer, if you're one of God's children, if you're someone who's put their faith or trust in Christ, that you would understand the obvious answer is the forgiveness of sin. For there could be no salvation, there could be no relationship with God, there could be no entrance into heaven, there could be no freedom from the guilt and the burden of sin unless our sins were forgiven. And I think the greatest one thing that God has ever offered to us as mankind is the forgiveness of that very sin, the ability to have it washed away, the ability to have it Buried in the depths of the sea. Forgiven. I want to talk to you this morning out of this text about the blessings of our forgiveness in Christ and how Peter came to understand that firsthand. I want you to understand, first of all, this morning that our God is definitely a God who forgives. He's a God who uh, enables us to be forgiven through the work of Christ. Uh, not every religion, world religion, has that in its faith, in its creed. In some religions, there is no forgiveness. You talk to a Muslim, and you ask them about forgiveness. They know no such thing. They just hope that maybe somehow they're ushered into their eternity, trying not to make God too angry. But our God is a God of forgiveness. In Exodus chapter 34, he states that very clearly to Moses. Moses wanted, desired to see the Lord, and as the Lord was passing before him, he said, I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast." Love and forgiveness. Forgiveness. Also in Micah 7.18, we see the prophet Micah who says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? Almost like it's unheard of. And even in the New Testament, 1 John 1.9 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ." God's Son keeps on forgiving us from all sin. If we confess our sins, it says He is faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, to keep on cleansing us in our lives. That verse is there because we need that. (laughs) We never arrive. There is no spiritual perfection in the life of a Christian, practically speaking. 
We're caught in this body of sin. We're caught in this world that's tainted by sin. At every look, at every glance, sin is in our face nowadays. You can't avoid it. We need that kind of forgiveness. Aren't you thankful that God just didn't forgive your sins of the past when he saved you and said, okay, it's clean, clean slate. Go ahead and start. Start living for me. And let's see how far you get. We wouldn't get very far, would we? Some of us probably wouldn't even make it a couple seconds before we would fall in thought or deed or word. We would know and not understand any usefulness to the Lord. We wouldn't have any relief from that guilt of sin without the forgiveness of sin. Well, Peter is a perfect example of this. Uh, He rises to the occasion here, or sinks to the depths, you might say, in his situation as we see in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, He fell so deep into sin in this situation. It's almost unconceivable to us. A lot of people read this text of Scripture and they come out criticizing Peter. Look at Peter. He denies Christ. Who would ever do that? Well, we're going to find out that that's not far from any one of us, our door, that we have to be very careful that we don't, in the proclamation of Christ, in the proclamation of Christianity to a lost and dying world, we don't lose sight of the fact that we're saved by grace, beloved. We're not saved by our good actions. We're not saved by what we do every day. You're not saved by coming here and sitting in this church today or coming to a Bible study on Wednesday night. That doesn't save you. Those are all good things. It doesn't save you to read your Bible. It doesn't save you when you pray. None of those things save you. The only thing that is able to save your lost and sinful soul is the mere fact that God extended his grace to you. He extended forgiveness to you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at our setting here and just so we understand where we're at in this week. Remember, it's Thursday night, late, probably early Friday morning in this text. And let me read the, the verses for you and you can follow along in your Bible and then we'll walk through them and then make some practical applications Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, And she said to the bystanders, this man was the Jesus, was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself. And to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, 
you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Somebody asked me last week about the text that we studied when it says that Jesus went before Caiaphas. And they said, well, doesn't that contradict the verses over in John chapter uh, 18? And you have to understand the, the context of these. The, these gospels are all written from a different perspective. Matthew, for whatever reason, leaves out the idea that he went uh, before uh, Annas, the, the, the former high priest. He just mentions that he went to Caiaphas. The other uh, John, and he mentions that he went to Annas first, and they interrogated him there first, and then he went to uh, Caiaphas. And so in John 18, it describes this scene before Annas where Matthew doesn't even refer to it. And in Matthew 57, it says that the soldiers brought Jesus from the garden to Caiaphas. Well, you have to understand that the high priest lived in a very palatial estate, kind of like the governor's estate or something like that, the White House. And on that estate, there were several compounds. And remember, Annas and Caiaphas were related. He was the son-in-law, Annas was. And so, uh, when, you, when you think of them living on this, in, this, in these palaces, they're all living on the same compound. So when one, common, one, one gospel says they took him to Caiaphas, the other one took him to Annas, remember, they're going to the same place. They're going to the exact same place. For whatever reason, Matthew doesn't mention that, but th- there's no contradiction here. Um, no doubt the courtyard was the same courtyard and maybe there was little houses around the outside of it, whatever it might be. But it was a, a place where they took Christ on that night after arresting him in the garden, after uh, his disciples fled, they took him to this place and there he was getting roughed up, he was getting questioned. We went over all that last week. But in John chapter 18, this first denial that Peter has indicates that maybe it happened while Jesus was with the former high priest. In verse 58, it says there that in Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside he sat with the guards to see the end. Peter was following at a distance. He just couldn't stay away. I mean, all the other disciples fled for the most part. But Peter wasn't alone. It seems that here in this text, but if you look in John chapter 18, there was another disciple who accompanied him, and it was John. John was, for whatever reason, known to the high priest. We don't know how. We don't know what his relationship was. But maybe John somehow talked to the people at the gate and said, hey, he's with me. John had some pull. Anyway, they end up in the courtyard here. John, the scripture doesn't say anything about John after they went into this this courtyard setting, but we do know that he didn't deny the Lord, but Peter did. 
So maybe John talked to the, the servant girl that's at the gate there. They always had gatekeepers at these estates to keep out the riffraff. And maybe John said, hey, let him, him in, in with me. But after they go inside, we don't hear anything about John at all. The focus is totally on Peter. And I think the reason that is is because God wants us to see a, a clear lesson here. Um, in verse 58... It says there that he followed Christ at a distance. See, there's a real danger in our Christian lives of following Christ at a distance. At putting a parameter around us, kind of a, a safe zone, you might say. I mean, we're going to live for Jesus and everything, but don't expect me to bring that religion into this area of my life. I want to ask you this morning, are you following Jesus closely or are you following Jesus from afar? If you're following him from afar, you might want to take note of that and be careful of that. Because you look at the predicament Peter ends up in here, it's not a very good one. And it says there that he not only followed Jesus from afar, but it says there in verse uh, 58, that he went into the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. So the time is near 1 a.m. Friday morning. This trial is going to take probably about two hours. And here is Peter. Rather than following Christ closely, he follows him from afar. And it says that he went inside, he sat with the guards, the, the literal guards that probably brought Jesus there. Reminds me of Psalm 1 when it talks about the man who comes and sits in the place of, of bad counsel and, and sinners. We have to be aware of that. We have to be on our guard about that. So Peter sat with these soldiers, no doubt it was a cool night. They were warming themselves by the fire. And imagine this place. I mean, it's not a, you know, uh, a calm place. Soldiers are coming and going. You have the Sanhedrin officials coming and going. The high priests and the, the, the different officials are running in and out of the house. They're shouting going inside the house as they're questioning Christ. It's not a, a, a calm place to be. And so Peter just kind of gets in there and tries to hide among the crowd, thinking, okay, I, I just want to see what's going on. I want to be within at least earshot to hear what the charges are. But he was trying not to be exposed. And so we see here in verse 69, we begin to see the, the circumstances here that surround these denials by Peter. The first one, it says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. They're in the house questioning Christ, doing whatever. He's outside in the courtyard with everybody else. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. Mark chapter 14, verse 66 says that she was one of the maids of the high priest. See, they had a whole entourage, just like political officials do today. You know, they didn't take a cup of water without somebody giving it to them, basically. And they had people that would keep the gates. 
maids and things and, and make sure that everybody who was there was supposed to be in there. And this was one of the maids of the high priest. The reason I say that is John eighteen seventeen says that she was a maid that kept the door. So she was like a hostess. You go to a restaurant, you meet the hostess, you don't just march in and sit down. They say, oh, what do you want? And okay, we'll find you a seat. You got to go through the hostess. Well, that's kind of what this gal was. And Mark 14, 16 says that she identifies the Lord not only as one of the Galileans, but as Jesus of Nazareth. And you have to understand the skeptics of Christ love to refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth or the Galilean because it was really a, a derogatory term in their culture. These were people of Jerusalem. They didn't have time for the people of Nazareth or the Galileans. They spoke funny and there were those hicks that lived out there on the countryside. Maybe the doorkeeper knew who Peter was because maybe she had talked to John and John let him in. <laughs> she was keeping his eye on, her, her eye on him. I don't know. She followed Peter and she announced her discovery. Maybe she was trying to impress the other guards who were sitting around the fire there. But she says that you were with Jesus of Galilee. She probably said it a couple different times in different ways. That's why the gospel accounts are different. She was trying to gain attention to herself by the officials there. But it says in verse 70, Peter's denial, but he denied it before them all. See, that's why I said she wasn't just talking to him. She was talking to everybody. She was kind of saying, look what I found. Look who I found. I, this, this guy was with Jesus. And she's trying to get a crowd around and trying to, you know, rally up the, the crowd mentality there. But it says that he denied it before them all. And he said this, I do not know what you mean. I don't know him. You don't know what you're talking about. This lady's crazy. And if you read through each gospel account, each one gives you a little different perspective of Peter's statements and the, the woman's statements and the maid's statements. But when you stop and you think who Peter was, and you stop and you think what Peter has experienced the last three years with Christ, Our obvious question is, how could somebody who is so privileged to be in the, the presence of the Lord all this time come to a point in his life where he's actually denying he even knows who Christ is? I mean, especially after a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at how he said that he was ready to die for Christ. Remember that? Oh, I'll never do that. I'll never deny you. I'll never leave you. I'll die for you, Jesus. I mean, Peter was Christ's main man. He was the leader of the 12. He was a very bold individual, very brash individual. I mean, he's the one who had been given the keys of the kingdom by the king himself. He witnessed Christ heal diseases, miraculous power, 
He was not some new convert that just learned about Jesus. That was maybe just a simple personal acquaintance with Jesus. No, this was an intimate disciple of Christ. See, sometimes we think in our Christianity, the longer we're a Christian, the less likely we are to do something like this or to fall into sin. That's just what we think. Matter of fact, we almost pride ourselves in how long we've known Christ. How long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian 50 years. been walking with the Lord 50 years, brother. Wow. How about you? Oh, just 25. Wow. You'll get there. Stay on the road of faith. And it's almost like we're, we're slapping ourselves on the back. I think Peter, in a weird way, was ready for the big test. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes in our lives we have big tests. I mean, think about it. When he was in the garden and they were going to take Christ, what did he do? Pulled out a sword and went to cut one of the guards' heads off. I mean, he, he was a, a willing servant of Christ. He was a devout disciple. He was ready for the, the big test. But when it came to a little doormaid... <laughs> Seems like it totally caught him off guard. Because he was unprepared. And that's the guise of Satan. That's that's how Satan works. He wants you to think that you're prepared for the, the big thing and forget about the little thing. Part of a small group, you come in on Wednesday night, or you're going to be faithful to do the study, do the work ahead of time because you don't want to be there and not have it done. So you're going to give your all for that. You're going to be prepared for that. But see, it's not that that we're concerned with. It's the little test. It's the unexpected test. I mean, you remember Elijah in the Old Testament? I mean, this guy basically, after slaughtering 450 false priests of Baal, he fled from one woman. <laughs> See, he could handle the big thing, but when it came to this woman, man, he just, he was terrified. We see here this morning before us someone who really goes from the, the heights of victory down to the depths of despair and defeat. I mean, he had just came out of the upper room hours before with Christ. He heard Jesus promise things that never before any human being in the world had heard him say. When he was in the garden, he saw Christ knock down upwards of a thousand people standing before him simply by saying, I am. Peter was full of boldness. And after he cut off the ear of the, the servant of the high priest, Malchus, he saw Christ literally heal it instantly. This is the Peter who walked on water briefly. (laughs) This is the Peter who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. See, Peter is, is really a living example of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. I don't think that's in your notes, so write it down. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Let him that 
thinks he stands, take heed, lest he what? Fall. Let him who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Don't ever think that you're going to get to the point in your Christian life where you're untouchable by any sin. I don't care what it is. Because you're not. What happened here with Peter really revealed his character. It really did. It showed us his character. You know, when we have involuntary responses to things, that's what reveals our character, not our planned response. When something just comes out of the blue and hits you upside of the head, how do you respond to that? That's where your character is known. Your character isn't manifested by what you are prepared to do, but by what you're not prepared for and how you react to it. And you know what? We all have issues in that area. Sometimes, you know, you're driving around, and we were driving down the freeway the other day, down 680. Some guy's right on my tail, right up, right up. I mean, he's about ready to kiss my rear bumper. It's just irritating me. And he's zipping out. He couldn't go around me. He's just going back and forth. And I couldn't go anywhere because there was a big van in front of me in the carpool lane just kind of chugging along. He wouldn't get out of anybody's way. You know, it's, it's times like that you just want to kind of tap your brakes a little bit. Just tap them a little bit. And he finally got around. And, you know, part of me just said, you know, go fast. Catch up to him. You want to catch up to do the same thing to him. That's what I'm thinking in my heart of hearts, beloved. I think my wife was well aware of my intentions. She kind of said some words that kind of diffused the thing and brought me back to reality. And said, yeah, how stupid is this? Let the, let the fool go. We all get in those situations. They just come out of the blue. Just driving down the freeway, having a great day, and all of a sudden, boom. Something could set you off. Peter wasn't prepared. He was caught off guard. So he denied even knowing Christ to everybody, it says. Well, look at the second situation here where he denies Christ. It says in verse 71, And when he went out to the entrance... See, he's, he's kind of thinking, hey, man, they may, they may know who I am. <laughs> he's reliving the last couple hours. He's thinking, okay, I cut off one of these guys' ears. He's probably not going to be too nice to me if he catches me. I, I, I think maybe I'll just kind of head out. He disappears. He says he went out into the porch area, went out to the entrance but look at what happens. Another servant girl, one of the same kind, another keeper of the gates there, saw him, and she said to the bystanders, Hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth right here. Once again, couldn't you see Peter just going, Oh, no, not again. Trying to fly under the radar here. And you notice that she says it not to Peter, but to the bystanders once again, drawing attention to herself, trying to get, you know, the situation riled up, using a derogatory name there, Jesus of Nazareth. He was with, this guy was with one of those sorts. Verse 72 says, and again he denied it. Look at this, with an oath. With an oath, it says.
He moves away from where the guards are gathered around the fire there, trying to be a little more inconspicuous. Maybe thinking, should I get out of here or should I stick around? He's a committed guy. He wants to know what happens to his Lord. He's going to hang around a little while. Mark 14, 68 says he went out into the porch and the cock crowed. He denied the Lord once and now the cock has crowed once. And after two more denials, it's going to crow again a second time. He's right on schedule, just like the Lord said would happen. And this gal points out, hey, I think he was with him. And once again, he says he denied it with an oath, saying, I do not even know the man. See, Peter, put yourself in Peter's situation here. I mean, Peter was afraid. He was confused. He was probably a little embarrassed. He was angry. He was frustrated. See, he had been trapped once again into just denying the Lord. But his denials are kind of ratcheting up with each one. They're becoming more and more intense. This time he told two lies. He lied when he claimed that he didn't know Christ, and he lied by taking an oath about his own truthfulness. I mean... You have to understand what this means when he takes an oath here. Taking an oath is swearing that you're telling the truth. The ultimate oath was to swear by the living God. Remember back in 63, verse 63, look at what it says. Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the what? Living God. Tell us that you are the Christ. It was a big deal to take that kind of an oath. And Peter made an oath, a personal pledge of truthfulness before God that he didn't know Jesus. Amazing. He really shows his lack of trust in the Lord. I mean, why, why did this happen? Why was this going... Why was he so weak? Why didn't he have the spiritual strength just to stand up and say, yeah, I'm one of his disciples? I mean, he had all the spiritual privileges. He spent time with Christ, devout disciple. You know, people who think they are invulnerable in these kind of areas... Maybe because they know so much about the Bible. Or maybe because they've been a Christian for so long. Or maybe they're involved in so much different kinds of ministry. And maybe they've experienced the blessings of God. They are actually the people who are most vulnerable. And that was true of Peter here. We see a third occasion in verse 73. It says, after a little while, the bystanders, 
probably standing around thinking about what this gal just said. They came up and they said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them. For your accent betrays you. Do you notice that each betrayal or each denial here begins with after a while? <laughs> after a while, after a while. It's hanging around a little bit, and after a while. The first two denials probably took place in the first hour. And now that hour was gone, and Peter couldn't, you know, quite bring himself to leave. He still wanted to see what happened to his Lord. <clears throat> Now he's near the room where Caiaphas is holding this meeting where Jesus' trial is being held. He's hearing them hurl accusations at Christ, hitting him, spitting at him. Somehow he's able to maybe be within earshot of all this. He couldn't leave. And the crowd this time says, hey, you're one of those. You're one of those Galileans. You speak funny. According to John 18, 26, a spokesman in this group of people was even a relative of the high priest's servant whose ear Peter cut off. So here Peter begins to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. That word, it's like saying, may God kill me if I'm not telling the truth. I mean, it's just an amazing denial. I mean, it's, it's, it's taking the Lord's name in vain in the, the most serious way possible. Verse 74 also says that Peter swore, which is really a pledge of his truthfulness. So he curses himself and says, if I'm not telling the truth, God will kill me. And then, But you know what? I'm telling the truth. I, 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 I totally pledge of truthfulness covers both the negative and the positive side. I mean, this all began with a single lie. (laughs) And then to cover it up, he had to lie twice. And now he's just throwing out curses upon himself and pledges that are not true, he can't keep. In verse 74, where it says he began to curse, that's not just, you know, one word. He continues. That word, the verb tense is he continues to curse. He's trying to prove his relationship with Christ is not real. Maybe the, the crowd continued to accuse him. Saying, no, oh, no, you're the, guy, you're the guy that cut his ear off. And he continues to curse. He's trying to convince them that he's not. And then verse 74, it says at the end, and immediately the rooster crowed. Immediately. It's the second time. And that whole thing of the the rooster crowing really, as we said before, weeks ago, it talks about the hour of 
the day. Two o'clock, three o'clock. That's when the rooster starts to crow. And just as the Lord predicted that that exactly happened. Now, look over at Luke 22. Luke 22. And this is Luke's account of the same thing. Luke 22:61 It says as soon as that rooster crowed what happened verse 61 and the Lord turned and looked at Peter Whew. Talk about a look I wouldn't want to be on the other end of that look. It says, And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will have denied me three times. I mean, can you imagine? The Lord's in there getting beat up, spit on and everything, and, and, and his lead disciple is out there denying he even knows him. And after the rooster crows, Peter immediately catches the glance of the Lord as maybe they're leading him away, bound. It's almost as if the Lord looked straight into Peter's eyes and he was saying, you know what, don't you ever mistrust what I say again. If I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he wanted to burn into the heart of Peter the evilness of his own sin. To make him know forever what he had done. This wasn't an angry stare. I believe this was a a stare of compassion and mercy. I think the Lord being led, maybe outbound, crosses Peter's glance. Peter can see the spit on his face, the swelling in his face, maybe the bleeding. Because he just got done being beat up. And he looks into the eyes of Peter almost to say, you know what, your words hurt me more than these blows do. The way that you denied me. I mean, you wonder why they call him a man of sorrows. Here's his chief disciple that won't even stand up for him. Won't even acknowledge his existence. Well, this whole story brings us to some very practical application that we can apply to ourselves. It says at the end there in verse 75 that Peter went out and wept bitterly. I think if there's here something that we need to take home for ourselves... It's simply, first of all, beware of self-confidence. Beware of thinking more of yourself than maybe what you ought to. Remember back in verses 31 and 33, not too long ago, there's Peter. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And the Lord even says to him, no, this very night you're going, no, 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 not going to happen. 
I mean, this is God. The God who created him is talking and he's saying, speaking truth to Peter's heart. And Peter's just like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good to go. No problem. Beware of self-confidence. I mean, this is the guy that thought he would follow Christ wherever he went. And somehow his feelings and his affection would be enough to make him handle any circumstance. He thought he could stand, but you know what? In the end, he couldn't. Secondly, beware of pride. In verses 34 and 35... It says there, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, Christ, I will not deny you. And we're picking on Peter, but all the other disciples said the same thing. See, that just shows you that, you know, this idea of self-confidence, this idea of, of pride, of kicking against what the Lord says... It's very dangerous. I mean, he literally defied the word of God. He looked right at Jesus and said, that ain't going to happen that way. Sorry. You must be making this up. I don't know what you're saying, Jesus. He wouldn't submit himself to the words of Christ. And yet he's a follower of his. See, that's why we need to make sure that we're always under the authority of the word of God. If we place ourselves under the authority of the word of God, then we'll be okay. It's only when we get outside of that authority and we start making things up and start doing things on our own because we think we know better. That's very dangerous ground. And Peter's a perfect example of that. He didn't take the word of God seriously. Jesus Christ himself spoke words right to him personally, and he just kind of ignored him. He thought, hey, I'm good to go. I don't need this. I'm not going to submit myself to your words. You know, it's kind of like coming here on Sunday morning, hearing the word of God taught, maybe going home and reading the word of God in your devotions. And then going out and living however you like you want. You're not putting yourself under the authority of the word of God. Very dangerous place to be, my friend. Especially as a believer. We cannot defy the word of God and survive. When the word of God says certain things, it means it. And it means it for our good. When the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, it's there for a reason. That very reason, when you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, what's going to happen? It's not going to be good, whatever happens. But we live in a society where, you know what, church is something we do on Sundays and Sunday only, and that's it. I mean, don't ask me to come out in the middle of the week. Don't ask me to do this. Don't ask me to serve over here. Man, I, I got a busy life. I got a career. I got a family. I got kids to think of. Word of God is very clear. Our first allegiance is to Christ and his word. We need to remember that. Well, thirdly, third step here. What's going on this morning? But third step here was his prayerlessness. Prayerlessness, verse 36 to 41. 
You can read it there. He was sleeping instead of praying when the Lord told him. You know what? You need to stay awake. You need to to make sure that you're ready for this temptation. It's spiritual neglect. He omitted the essential spiritual duty. And basically that just kind of caused this whole thing to unravel before him. Lack of prayer. Spiritual indifference. And that leads to the other thing we have to be careful of is our independence. Our independence. We see in verses 51 and 52 of Matthew 26 where Peter just acted on his own. He just acted on his own. You remember the text. One of those who was with Jesus, who was Peter, stretched out his hand. He drew out his sword, the little sword that they used to carry. And struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. What did Jesus do? Good job, Peter. No, he said, you know what? Put that sword away. You want to mess around with swords? You're going to die by the sword. Upholding capital punishment, really. He said, if you kill that man, you're going to have to be killed. Live by the sword, you die by the sword. He was independent. He didn't ask the Lord what to do. He just went off and did it. He acted on his own. Therefore, he got himself into disaster after disaster after disaster. And the same thing applies to us. Beloved, we need to stop and we need to remember that we're not, we're, we're, we're not in and of ourselves. We don't have the ability to help ourselves. That we are prideful. That we do not give the proper time to seeking the Lord in prayer. That we are independent. We want to do our own thing. In our own way. And I don't care if that has to do with your life, your family, the church. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, people today in churches that somehow they got to come up with some scheme to grow the church. They got to come up with something new. They can't just teach and preach the word of God. I mean, people aren't into that today. That's kind of old school. So you got to have, you know, hot music and you got to have plays and skits going on and all those things. And all those things are good in their place. But when they crowd out the teaching and the, the preaching of God's word, we're not going to go there. We don't do things our own way. We do things how scripture lays it out in the word. And you see in the book of Acts what they did. They gathered together. They were under the apostles' teaching. They prayed together. They ate meals together. They fellowshiped together. All those things, if we don't avoid them, it leads us to compromise. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. He compromised. He followed Jesus at afar. Remember Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. What did Peter do? He walked right into the lion's den. He stood around and what? Finally, he sat down. He sat among the, the people, literal people who arrested his Lord. And that just took him down that compromising road. See, either he should have been standing right next to Christ saying, yeah, I'm with him. But no, he wasn't. He was, he was standing afar off. And that's never a good thing. But we see here, in the end, his repentance. 
Despite all that Peter denied in this situation, he denied that he even knew Christ. The focus of this message is on forgiveness. But there's something that has to happen before forgiveness can be granted, and that's repentance. The, the, the true Peter here is not seen in his denial of Christ, but in his repentance. When you stop and you think about Judas, we don't wonder if he was a true believer. He wasn't, clearly. Because what did he do in the end? He went out and what? He hung himself. A very selfish act, by the way. Suicide is always a selfish act. Ends the pain for yourself, no one else. Judas wasn't repentant. But you know what? Peter didn't do that. He didn't go out and hang himself. He probably felt like it, but he didn't. It says that he wept bitterly. And he came back to be restored by the Lord himself. See, that's the difference between people like Judas and people like Peter. Both are going to sin. But one is repentant and will be restored. The other one is unrepentant and will be damned. In Luke 22, verse 31, 32, Jesus said this, Satan demanded to have you, Peter, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You know why Peter's faith didn't fail? Even though he denied Christ, he even cursed himself. Because the Lord prayed for him. I want you to understand here this morning, the reason we stay saved is not the result of something we've done, but it's that sustaining power of the Lord to keep us saved. It's very simple. Don't ever think in your Christian life somehow you're doing something to earn God's favor. That's not grace, my friend. That's called legalism. And that's straight out of the pit of hell. Jesus didn't keep Judas saved because he never was saved in the first place. He never came to Christ. He was a false believer. But you see here that Peter did three things. First of all, he remembered the words of Jesus. When you're in your sin, remember the words of Jesus. Go back to the words of Christ. Second thing there, it says he went out. None of the gospel writers tell us where he went. None of the gospel writers give any account of what Peter said. There's no account of, of, oh, here's the prayer he prayed for repentance. No. And I think the reason it's not there is because we would just emulate that right to the T. That was between him and his Lord, as any repentance and forgiveness should be. And then thirdly, it says that he wept bitterly. The very strong word expression in the Greek there, it means to sob loudly. You know, it wasn't until he saw the face of Jesus that he remembered his words and he repented. Do you understand? Your sin will not make you repent. Your sin is not going to force you to repent. Your Savior will. See, it's not our sins that make us 
weep and repent. It's seeing how we've offended our precious Savior that makes us repent. It makes us change our mind about our sin. We always need to fix our eyes on Christ, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says. I mean, do you understand Peter's sin? He would have just kept on sinning. But when he saw Christ, he remembered his words. And he granted him repentance. That's why in ministry, we're not always trying to harp on certain sins and stay away from this, stay away from that. No, our, our goal is to lift up the glory of God, to lift up Christ. If he will be lifted up, then you'll see him. And the rest of the business will take care of itself. Well, Peter was ultimately restored. And you can read about that in John 21, 15 to 17. Remember, he asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? It's almost like Christ is coming along and he's taking Peter by the hand and saying, all right, you messed up. Okay, I get it. We need to get over this. We need to put this past. We need to move on. And I'm going to help you do that. Because he saw Peter's repentance as genuine. Three times he tells Peter, you know what? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The Lord put Peter back into ministry, even though he denied even knowing him, to some servant girls in a rowdy crowd. If you look in the New Testament, you see Peter is becoming one of the the great proclaimers of the gospel in the early church. I mean, that's why I say this story is not so much about Peter and his denying Christ, but it's about God's forgiveness. And when we come to understand that God has that same forgiveness available for all who would come and repent and turn to Christ from their sin. I mean, as Christians, we have the greatest gift that we could possibly have, the forgiveness of God. Do we believe that? Are we telling people about that? Are we inviting other people to experience that forgiveness? Are you prepared? Spiritually? You know, your life could change radically in an hour. You could leave here. You could be in an auto wreck. You could have one of your children, one of your loved ones pass from this life into eternity. Just like that. Happens all the time. How are you going to deal with situations like that when they come? Are you firming up your ground now? Are you standing on Christ, the solid rock? Are you making sure that you're, you're dotting all the I's and crossing the T's and making sure that you're doing everything within your power, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to make sure that your walk with Christ is genuine and real and living? Or are you just kind of coasting from Sunday to Sunday? Yeah, I'll go to church on Sunday. and That's about all I need. Been there, done that. I've been a Christian for years. Don't believe that lie, beloved. Because it will take you right down the same road that Peter went to. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would take the power of your word and emblazon it in our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand that we are not to be confident in ourselves. That we are not to be prideful. That we are not to be independent and 
unwilling to submit ourselves to your word. Father, your, your word is very clear. You've laid it out for us so dynamically and so clear, and we have our own personal copy of it, so there's no excuse. But, Lord, sometimes our flesh is stronger than our spirit. Just like Peter, he thought he could conquer the world. And yet, in the end, he couldn't even stand up for his Lord to a couple maids. And, Father, we thank you for this example of your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, we all need to go there at times. We all fall short in our lives. There are times when we deny you in our workplaces. We deny you with the way we live. We deny you with the words we use, the thoughts we think. Lord, we're no better off than Peter. Help us not to think that. But Father, help us to be dependent upon you in every circumstances and ask you to be our strength and our solid ground. We thank you. We pray for those who may not know you here this morning. I pray that you would show them their need of a Savior, that you would bring them to that point of brokenness over their sin, that they could see their sin for what it is, a burden that they're carrying that they don't need to carry. Christ has paid the price. They turn, look to Christ. He will forgive them. He will restore them. He will grant them that repentance that we talked about this morning. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.